Hi, everyone, and welcome to Nella's Tin Trunk Podcast. I had planned to speak today about my own journey to Kenya on this podcast, since this is Sifting Through the Greatness of Kenya, and I have lived here now for 18 years. However, as I prepared for that, an event happened which changed my mind. Two days ago, an elephant nicknamed One Up, One Down for his two enormous tusks and how well one pointed up and one pointed down, died. I want to remove any anxiety about this story from the start in saying that one up died of natural causes. He died of old age. He was not poached. He was not speared, although that did happen to him at one point in our story. So truly, in the world of elephants, One Up's life and his passing is a very big success story. For any elephant that dies of old age is a success. My relationship with One Up, One Down goes back to my first years in Kenya and the immediate falling in love with Sarara Camp in the northern area known as the Matthews Range. One Up was one of many big bull elephants whose migration routes included this incredibly beautiful valley and who would always stop by to graze the acacias and drink from Sarara's natural springs at the watering hole. On our first meeting, I was heading back to the guide tent before dinner to have a shower. Walking along, looking down, thinking about who knows what, I heard a loud puff with snort sound and looked up to see an absolutely ginormous elephant on the path just in front of me, looking right at me. In the same instant that I saw him, I sensed that he was not aggressive, and we both just stood still for a moment before I slowly backed up along the path and he resumed eating. I headed back to the mess, rather exhilarated from the adrenaline, and announced to Jeremy, the man in charge of Sarara, that an elephant was blocking my path to my room. Is it one up, one down? He asked nonchalantly. I have no idea what his name is, I said. I just know he's huge and he's blocking the path. So Jeremy walked me to my room. One up was still there, so we detoured into the bush to make a wide loop and climbed over the wall leading to my outdoor bathroom so I could enter from the back. He said he would leave an askari, or guard, in Swahili, in the area to walk me back after my shower. With minimal thoughts about this guard hanging around my room while I showered in the open air, and more thoughts on this huge elephant in the area, I prepared for dinner. After dinner, I was escorted by the askari back to my room and went to bed. Now, this room merits a bit of explaining. It's for guides and hosts, like me. When there is space, Sarara always puts me into a guest room, very kindly. On this occasion, however, the camp was chock-a-block full, and so I was in this little guide room. It consists of a thatched roof, walls on two sides that are only about four feet tall, so there's a big gap between the top of the walls and the roof. The back wall has an opening that leads outside to a stone path, kind of like an unclosed doorway and the stone path leads up to a loo and outdoor shower. So the front is wide open with no walls at all. The whole room is big enough for only a single bed with a mosquito net over it and some shelves, 
And there's a lovely little veranda with a table and chair looking out over the sloping ground and the pretty Acacia Valley below. So in essence, you're in a bed with a mozzie net, but not closed in at all. At dinner, when I told a few staff members about my encounter with One Up, they said, oh, it's good he's around. It means the leopard probably won't take a shortcut through your room. Ha ha, I think. About 2 a.m. that night, I was sound asleep when I heard branches cracking just over my head. I opened my eyes and my heart began pounding out of my chest as I saw that the whole front opening of my room was filled by the bulk of an elephant's body. The Ellie was reaching above the roof and eating the acacia pods, perfectly ripe and ready, on the branches above the room. Again, I noticed this Ellie was 100% relaxed and was pretty sure it was one up, one down. So with my heart still pounding, I just lie still. He was probably 10 feet away from the bed at the most. His peaceful acacia chomping slowed my heart, and as I lie there, as vulnerable as one can get, basically, I began to feel an incredible sense of peace. Falling back asleep with one up in my doorway, filling his belly with elephant candy all night, is one of the most special memories of my life in Kenya. The next morning when they kindly brought me a pot of coffee to enjoy on my veranda, one up was just below the valley, still eating and still totally relaxed. So I got to have coffee with him too, and I knew he'd become a very special elephant for me. I'm lucky enough to visit Sarara a lot, so I got to see one up on many other occasions. One day, I was walking with clients from the famous singing wells back to camp when our guide Robert, an amazing Samburo man who you will hear interviewed in my next podcast, quieted me, smiling and pointing to his right. There in the bush was one up, chewing on some bark, looking at me. Needless to say, I stopped my loud storytelling and kept walking past quietly, and not a little sheepishly for this uncouth bush behavior, following Robert, who said, Your elephant heard you coming. On safari another time with a family from England with small children, we witnessed an amazing situation with elephants, including one up, one down. Unfortunately, this story is not so happy. For I was standing near the pool, looking out at the vast view from camp, when I noticed a single bull drinking from the spring water, who looked very skinny. I told the staff, and they in turn told the guides. With binoculars, we could see that the elephant had a wound on his shoulder, and they thought initially he'd been in a scrap with another bull. However, looking more closely, they saw that he was also wounded in two other places, and that all three wounds were actually from bullets. This poor Ellie was the victim of a botched poaching attempt to get his beautiful big tusks. They called the warden of the area who flew his plane in with a veterinarian. We all watched from the pool as they prepared to dart and tranquilize the injured Ellie so that they could treat him. All of a sudden, one up came walking out of the bush towards the wounded elephant, and Boris, another big bull often in the area, came from the opposite direction. Of course, they couldn't dart the alley with these other two closing in, and what I witness next is so extraordinary that it sounds fantastical. 
Mark, one of the senior Sambura guides, walked down onto the rocks near one up and simply held his hand up, palm facing one up as if to say, stop. Daniel, another great Samburu guide, climbed onto the roof of the land cruiser, which was parked near enough to the wounded Ellie for the vet to jump out and begin treating him once he was darted. He took the same stance, holding up his palm, and Boris also stopped. These two Samburu men, both junior elders, held that position while the warden darted the elephant, who went down and who was then treated. As I watched this, with the family on safari with me, Jeremy's wife, Katie, who truly merits her own podcast one day, told me to perhaps prepare them that the hardest part for an elephant is to stand back up, especially when his strength is depleted from the gunshots and he has been tranquilized. So I told the kids, who were 6, 8, and 10 years old, that they were trying to help this Ellie as much as they could, but that it was possible he would be too sick to make it. Indeed, after he was given the antidote to the tranquilizer, he struggled to get up, and they had to use a tow rope in the vehicle to help him get to his feet. This worked, and he stood up in the shade of an acacia. But there was no way to walk up to him now and take the tow rope off, so they undid it from the vehicle and moved away, leaving it loosely around his neck and giving him some space. As soon as the vehicle pulled out, Literally as soon as the vehicle pulled out, one up and Boris marched, and I mean made a total beeline for the wounded elephant. They went up there, stood very close to him in a huddle, and then they began to feel his body with their trunks. And when they found the strap, they removed it from around his neck. Even as I say this and think about it for the millionth time, I feel like I must have hallucinated. It was Totally incredible. Boris and One Up then stood quietly with this Ellie for about 20 minutes. Then, all of a sudden, at exactly the same time, these two Ellies turned and walked away together into the bushes to begin feeding on trees, leaving the wounded one in the shade where he was standing. The family and I then headed out into the bush to have a night fly camping under mosquito nets in the dry riverbed. We discussed what we had seen all evening as we dined around a roaring fire and then went to sleep under a truly vast sky of bright stars. When we walked back to camp early the next morning, we arrived to find that the wounded Ellie had died less than 30 minutes before we got there. He'd never moved from that shady spot under the tree and just had not had the strength left to recover. We went down to him, sat with him, touched him, and all of us cried. We cried for him and for all the elephant that have been killed, simply because they have beautiful teeth. It was a sad day, and yet when the children's mother later sent me an essay that her eldest daughter, aged 10, had written for school about elephants, titled To the Watering Hole. I was really touched. The story was about a matriarch elephant who saves her family from drought by finding water and leading them to it. I was impressed by the story and by the impression the elephants had made on the young author. Several years later, 
The boy from that family, who had been six on safari, ran the London Half Marathon with his dad. He chose to raise money for elephant conservation and got a lot of sponsorship from family and friends, donating it all. And so I knew that elephant had not died in vain. I'm happy to say that poaching in that valley has almost disappeared. The collaboration between the Samburu community and the conservation efforts of the people in charge at Sarara have ended up becoming a model for the rest of Africa. And I speak more about that with Robert in the next interview. As for One Up, he had a close encounter, thanks to the other main reason elephants die, human-wildlife conflict. Supposedly, he didn't help himself out much, as I heard he liked to raid people's crops, hiding during the day in the forest, munching there, and then coming out into the field or garden at night to dine on lettuces and cabbage and such. I woke one glorious morning at Sarara and spotted one up at the watering hole. As I looked at him, I noticed something odd on his back. Binoculars showed that it was a spear. He'd been speared from above, which meant someone planned an attack on him from up in the tree. He had then tried to get the spear out by rubbing it against branches, and so it was bent along his back. I told the camp, and they called in the vet. The spear was removed, and one up recovered completely. Elephants have six sets of teeth. As one set wears out from all that chewing, another moves in from the back of the mouth to replace it. This happens six times in their life. So knowing that he died because his teeth ran their full course and he simply couldn't keep himself nourished any longer is a loss to us all who loved him, but not a tragedy at all. In fact, he chose to lie down just below the home of Jeremy and Katie. I find that so beautiful. Jeremy literally grew up with one up, and he and Katie, and now even their two small children, consider him part of the family. They don't plan to move him, so I'll fly up soon and say my farewell in person. I look forward to toasting this great elephant. As Robert said so perfectly when he told me about one up's death, I know you and he are true friends. So this is a bit different from my usual Sifting Through the Greatness podcast. We haven't discussed the practicalities or reasons to come to Kenya versus other places in Africa. But I think we've touched on the great why of Africa. Because to be unmoved by the world and unchanged by its journeys is not an acceptable outcome. Thanks so much for listening. This is Nella Nenshini Hutchings and the Tin Trunk Podcast.